0: Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com/slash radio. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This is Tripod Talk Radio, and today is Sunday, April 22nd, 2012. Call 310 388 9739, or visit us in the live chat room at tripods.com slash chat to join the discussion. We're happy to have a popular guest with us again, here to provide intuitive readings for your dogs currently battling cancer. Please welcome Stacy Kravchak to the show. Stacy is a professional animal communicator who has helped many people better understand their dogs and other pets over the years. Thanks for joining us, Stacy.
1: Thanks for having me, Jim. I'm excited to be back.
0: Well, we're happy to have you, and I know we do have a caller waiting, but I think Renee's going to ask you a couple questions here first before we get into um, the, the the readings.
1: So, hey, I just wanted... <clears throat> hi, Renee, how are you? Excuse me. Hey, hey fine, thanks. Um, what what was that before I cut you off? Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say in advance. I just wanted to apologize, everybody, in case I am going to be sneezing or coughing. Um I am just getting over a cold so I just want to let everybody know and apologize in advance. So sorry, go ahead, Renee.
2: Oh, I don't think you need to worry, Stacey. You sound great and um thank you so much for being here even though I know you know you're not feeling 100%. Um I just oh, want to reiterate you. to everybody that this show is open to everybody. Um we did change the theme of the show. It's not just about dogs with cancer. This is about all animals today. So if you have any animal related questions, um, and you want to be able to better communicate with your pets, please give us a call, 310-388-9739. And, uh, Stacy, let's, uh, let's get started. Um, before we answer one of our members' questions, I just want to open up and, and let's address this subject of, of animal communication. Um, I'm really curious to find out, can anybody learn to communicate with their animals, or is this something that you're just born with?
1: That's a great question. I do get that a lot. Anybody, everybody who is born has is born with a psychic ability. So, yes, everybody is able to do this. Um, and just depends on how much you enhance your skill or want to develop it. But we all have our own sixth sense in whether it's job-related or being with being a mom with kids or something in your career field. We always have this gut intuition or this instinct. But it is up to you to further or expand your gifts by, you know, taking classes, reading different books, doing different exercises with cards and, you know, with a regular playing deck of cards and just going through and seeing which one is red, which one is black, with the cards facing down. But there's many different things that you can use, do, to enhance your psychic abilities. And that, of course, will lead you into animal communication. And I do want to let everyone know, too, that, Anyone who shares their life with, with an animal companion, whether it's a horse, dog, cat, or bird, is already intuitively connected, just not always consciously aware of how they're communicating with their animals already. But, yes, everybody can do what I am doing right now. Wow.
2: I I can't even imagine because, I mean, sometimes I, I look at Wyatt over here and I'm trying to read his mind and it, he just seems like, like he's a million miles away from me even though he's looking right at me. Um, what are some yes. some resources that that people can go to um, as far as as learning how to do this? Is there like a, a good website we can look at or um, some place to go where we can read more about this?
1: Yes, definitely. And I always tell people too that there's different authors of different books that resonate for people. So I can give you a list of names for books and different websites that I have used to en- en- enhance as well as increase my abilities. And so I encourage people just to kind of Google animal communication and see what comes up for them. But Sophie Smith is the grandmother of animal communication. and She's been doing this since the 70s before this was even cool or the New Age era hit. And she's out in Arizona, and I actually took a workshop from her, but I have all of her books, and she's just a phenomenal woman. And she also incorporates with um, animal communication, but with all of wildlife, all of the trees and the and the spirits and the and the plants, and it's just, it's more of a oneness feeling. So she's an amazing teacher, as well as another book that I like, <clears throat> excuse me, is Amelia Kincaid, and it's called Straight from the Horse's Mouth, and that's a, a fabulous book that I can kind of refer to as my Bible that I go back to on a regular basis, and when I teach animal communication classes, um... I refer that book to a lot of people because it has all the exercises as well as the questions to ask and things that you can do to continually increase your abilities. And she's a phenomenal author, and she's very funny, so it's a very easy and quick
2: read. Okay, and so you actually teach workshops about this very subject.
1: Really? Um, And where do you teach them? Um, I'm located in Wisconsin, so I do a lot of things around locally within my area in Milwaukee. I do go to Beaver Dam, Madison, um, different communities, as well as when clients do contact me over the phone and there's different areas that they're trying to have more uh, of understanding with their animal, I'll give them several telepathic exercises to help communicate with them and their animal companions. But I do teach this. Um, in person as well, sometimes over the phone, if a, if a person is in dire an need and is having problems with their animals. And it's really rather easy. And a lot of times when I teach this with people, the answers always come lightning quick. So sometimes when we're getting ready to ask the question, whether it's verbally out loud or telepathically through pictures or images, the animal is just waiting like on pins and needles to, to talk to us. So sometimes they even answer the question before we even get to fully ask the question. So it's really interesting how it happens. And and every class that I've taught, Renee, that there's always been a positive experience. There's not been one person that has never got any messages or has never been able to see or feel anything. So it is a very common thing, but we just have to wrap our logical brain around um, something that's going to be a little bit more abstract than what we're used to. And it's kind of like the same reference that you used to Wyatt is where you said, you know, he's looking at me, and I just think that he's a thousand miles away. But when it comes to us, we're, we're expecting different things. We're expecting a certain response, or we're expecting words coming from our animals, but it doesn't necessarily come like that. And another quick example is when my grandfather died. I was I was looking for a big billboard saying, I'm here, Stacey, I'm here. I'm okay. So in my mind, I'm looking for this huge sign saying that he's safe, but it's just like the songs on the radio or finding pennies or coins, nickels, dimes, um, having a book open to a certain page that resonates for me. It's just like those little subtle messages that really ring home and hit home for us as well as with animal communication. So it's just sometimes we just have to open our, our minds and, and feel and see how we may receive things differently than what is really we think it should be. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it
2: does. I, I'm i really intrigued. And and do you have your schedule up on your
1: website? Yes. Um, my website is allspirithealing.com, and it has my calendar listings of where I'll be teaching different classes. And um, I do a lot of animal communication. I also do, like, animal healing classes where there's other modalities outside of Western medicines that you can use at home that can complement Western medicine, like oils, crystals, animal energy work, like Reiki, and things like that. But all of my schedules and classes and events of where I'll be at will be on my um, 2012 calendar on allspiritdealing.com.
2: Oh, okay, great. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to look at that. And I think I'm going to hand it over to Jim for a second.
0: Oh, we have a okay. caller who's been very patient-holding and, and listening along, and we think it may be Cheeto's mom. Would that be you on the air with us?
3: That is. This is Cheeto's mommy.
2: Hey, Hello. how you
3: doing? I'm doing great. Hi to all of you, and thank you, Stacy, for, for taking my call today. Uh, do you want me to go ahead and jump in?
0: Yeah, thanks sure. for your patience.
3: Okay. Absolutely. Um, I'm really excited to be able to do this. Cheeto is a, a a relatively new tripod. He will be three weeks post-surgery this Tuesday. Prior to him coming to live with me in November, I had a precarious balance of a pack of seven small dogs and four cats, Pretty pretty large household of animals. And we had just moved from Florida to a huge house in Georgia on a little over an acre. And so, Everything was okay, and then in November, here comes this big old uh, part American bulldog, part hound dog that runs in front of my car, and um, and uh, luckily I didn't hit him, but I saw him about to get hit, and I threw him in the car, brought him home, and got him healthy, found out he was going to have to have his leg amputated. I had no intention of keeping him, but he and I have bonded. He obviously loves me a great deal. I hear from family members all the time you know, you have to protect your little guys. He's part pit bull. I don't feel any threat at all from this dog. I feel like this dog is the most submissive, gentle dog in the world. We have had a little bit of growling since the surgery, but I think that's probably pain or medication. But I guess I just I'm I'm not really sure what he needs from me at this point and and what I need to do for him.
1: Okay. And can you just say your first name for me?
3: I'm Janet.
1: Janet, okay. And you're Cheeto's mom.
3: I am Cheeto's mom.
1: All right. So just give me a second. And what
3: color is Cheeto? He's uh, white with brown markings, and he has the pretty black eyeliner-looking eyes like he's spent <laughs> a lot of time putting his eyeliner on. Just perfect.
1: <laughs> oh, very nice. Sounds beautiful. Okay, so let he me is. see what i I'll take a second here and see what he has to say. (sighs) So he wants to know, are you planning on keeping him?
3: Yes. Okay.
1: Because it feels like there's a a question mark lingering over his head. It also feels like that was pretty traumatic surgery for him. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't, and I feel like whatever medication or something he's on, it feels like it's upsetting his stomach, so it I'm is. just gonna help. Yeah, so I'm just gonna help him to understand a little bit what's going on, and through talking to him verbally as well is in my mind. But I just want to ask you too, Janet, how much longer is he gonna have to be on this med- medication for? Him?
3: Um, It's getting out of his system now, so I think this is kind of like a rebound thing, but I've noticed he seems to be more constipated than anything. He's having more of a hard time moving his bow. so I've been giving him a little bit of pumpkin to try to help that along, but um, it's actually to the point we may call the vet tomorrow to see if we need to do something else for it.
1: Okay. All right. This is kind of we're just going through a little bit of the basic issues right now overall, his overall health and, and feelings um okay. I do I do feel nauseous as well. Okay. So I'll just let him know that hopefully the, this will be the end stages of of the medication. Okay. And he likes his name by the way, he thinks it's very cute. And cool. he he doesn't feel like he would be aggressive from what he shows me. He feels like he's definitely a pleaser and he only wants to do right. And I feel like he's had a pretty traumatic life, so he does want to make sure that he behaves appropriately. And when it comes to the growling, it's more of an insecurity and an unsure feeling about what, Um, Is going on whether it's from you Or other people or dogs around It just feels like I don't know I don't feel good But I'm going to growl let you know that you need to kind of Stay away and back away So what I would recommend for you And what Cheetah was showing me Is just more communication Because we all talk to our animals anyways But Mm -hmm. the key for this Is talking more in depthly And very specifically about what's going on Okay So talk to him about going to the vet and what you're going to be going to the vet for as well, as coming back. I don't really feel like you filled him in too much about the surgery um, as well as, like, the recovery time. So I feel like he feels a little unsettled or unsure what's going to happen, how it's going to change his whole lifestyle kind of thing. So I feel like you have communicated that, but I would just encourage you to do, do a little bit more detailed and depthly, and depthly excuse me, And to let him know that no one's going to hurt him, that this was just done for his own health and safety and protection, and that he is going to be a part of your pack. And then you want to also tell him how you want him to be in your household. And also it's really important, too, Jen, is not to let anybody on the outside influence how you feel um, with your animals. And and I really encourage you to make sure that you stay with your gut feeling and your instinct of feeling like, yeah, I I don't think that he's a threat. So just, you know, what other people say has to, you know, don't take that on and own that. Just kind of, you know, just let that away.
3: Let that go, yeah. Because my every instinct with this boy is he's just a sweet, lovable, big old boy that's had a rough start and, uh, and he needs to know he's safe now. And that's what I want him to know is he's safe now.
1: Yes, good. And then just keep reassuring him that. Just keep reassuring him that. And letting him know that he is very much loved and, and as well as letting your other pack, all your other kiddos know that you know he's not a replacement, and just that there's enough room and enough love for everyone to share, and that he's not going to hurt um the other dogs as well. okay, thank you, Stacy. You're welcome my pleasure, I hope that helps it did Thank, thank you very for much. calling okay, bye, bye.
2: Thank you so much, Stacy. That that was really interesting, and I know a lot of people, when they, um, whether or not they they bring home an, a new dog right after surgery, or it's an existing dog that they've had for a while, um, there's so much stress and and wondering and worry that that happens after surgery. Um, I, I I really appreciate the the advice you gave her because I think it applies to uh, a big percentage of our our membership here.
1: Yes, good, and I'm glad to help. And just a lot of times too even if you only had a single dog in your household who just recently lost a leg, it's it's traumatizing for just that animal alone plus the human and the environment, but it's having other animals, whether they're cats or dogs or whatever it may be, it does affect all of them. So sometimes we just have to open our perspective and realize, you know, like the ripple effect and how much it's going to affect everybody around the the environment or in the home and what we can do to talk to them and what we would want someone to tell us if we were in that position. So I like to tell people when like I put yourself in that animal's position, whether it's that horse or dog or a cat that just went through surgery or just lost a limb, it's very traumatic. And as well as that lifestyle change that we keep talking about in each, pretty much each month. But it's just really mm-hmm. important to talk to them and reassure them that everything's okay and this was just done for their health, it was necessary and that you still love them and, you know, we're just going to make appropriate changes as it comes.
2: What what are some um behavioral signs that that we can watch for if, if we if we think our dogs aren't happy but we're not sure, you know, whether or not it's it's right after surgery or just out of the blue, um, what are some behavioral signs um to look out for when when they aren't very positive
1: about their current situation? Well, and that's a great point that you bring up is that you can kinda of tell something's already off because they're acting differently. They're not eating right. Just their whole routine seems to be off or they're sleeping a lot. So what you can just do is I, I tell people to either, like, sit on the floor or lay on the floor and then just tell your animal what's going on. Or if we're having a bad day because of something that happened at work or something that happened with a family member, it's important to let the animal know it's not you. <laughs> you know, it's just something that I'm going through because the animals want to be our healers and want to help us and to heal us and lick away our tears or calm us down if we're angry, so sometimes they get upset because they're not doing their job of helping us humans. And then when they come incapacitated because of a health or illness or disease or, you know, the amputation, you know, not only is it affecting their job of being our healers or our teachers, but it's also affecting them and their, sometimes their humility or their regalness or their job in helping us or being the pack leader of the other animals. So there's many other things outside of their own person and their own animal that are themselves that really can affect them. So just things that, you know, to make sure that you're addressing the certain issues, whether it's emotionally or physically, about what's going on with the animal. So emotionally that they're not going to be able to be you know, as as mo- um, mobile as they used to. So they might not be able to play with their favorite um, toys or play with their favorite dogs or go for a long walk. So with we'll the sound that we'll just go for the small walks until that you can feel better and um, talk to him like that. And that goes with the physicality part of they used to go swimming and now they can't go swimming right now for a couple of weeks or two more months. So we want to tell them why they can't go swimming right now. But in two months when your are heal or whatever, you can go swimming, but I'm going to have to put this light vest on for you. It's going to be a little constricting, but it's going to help keep you afloat and it's going to help you swim better so that you're not going to sink. So a lot of times, especially with tripods, a movie tripod, they already are feeling different. In their mind, they're thinking, oh, I can swim free, I can do this. But when they get in the water, like, oh, something's a little off and they tend to panic or freak out. And then when you put on a vest that sometimes has the Velcro and is a little bit more bulkier, that, then that can cause them to go into a little bit of a panic as well. So just talking them, talking them through it, just like you had a, another human that just went through a trauma or a child, you just really want to talk through everything just like you would with a human. So it's just really important to be very clear and descriptive and also how it's affecting us as their their animal um, leader or their companion.
2: Now, if you have multiple animals in a household and um, one of them is, is having a situation like this, do you recommend sitting down with each animal individually or can you do like a group
1: meeting kind of thing with all of them at once? Is that effective at all? Well, I love to tell people to do it individually because everybody wants that one-on-one attention. Sometimes doing a big group session does help, but I still tell people to do it individually for each animal because everybody listens differently, everyone hears things differently, and sometimes the energy of an animal can be a distraction or disruption to the rest of the group. But I I really strongly encourage everyone to do the um, individual sessions with each animal and it doesn't make a big difference and even with people with our animals that have uh, separation anxiety just talking to an animal is so helpful i had a session yesterday with a client um and she had came back after adopting this greyhound and we had a session last month I'm at a venue at this venue once a month and she just said i cannot believe how much it's made a difference that she just completely settled down even when the mom left because she was very attached to the mom. And just by talking to her, because I was just the guy, the channel, and then I encouraged her to go home and also talk to her greyhound, and she said it made such a huge difference and that her daughter actually had to come and witness this herself through, for the animal communication session. But anybody can be doing this. So you don't necessarily mean me, but just keep the communication. That's why I would say keep the communication alive, keep on talking, and then... If the animal is acting out or being destructive or having some behavioral change, it's a reflection of us. So what did I just do to upset my animal? My animal's is just telling me that something's off in the house by behaving or acting differently.
2: It, it usually just kind of comes down to us, doesn't it, and how we we
1: uh, relate
2: and, and act and, and behave in front of our animals. It's really the whole tax stability kind of hinges on our behavior, doesn't
1: it? Exactly. Well said. Very well said. It all comes back to us. And there are well, exceptions. I... Oh but go ahead. Uh-huh. I just want to say there are there are some exceptions where sometimes it's just the animals. Sometimes you know like there's a small percentage that are just little imps that are just looking for attention or they have their little um negative tension is attention. So sometimes they're just doing it for whatever need they have, but majority of the time it does fall back on the owner or the pack leader. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm sorry, Renee, go ahead.
2: Now, now, well, speaking of, of our behavior, um, I want to switch gears for a second and, and talk about a subject that isn't um, really all that pleasant to think about, but it's something that we all deal with at some point when we have animals in our house, and that's mm-hmm. um, when they are getting ready to transition to their next world, wherever that may be. Um, when a, an animal is about to um, die, um, how how do we deal with that? Um, how do we make sure it's not such a traumatic experience? How do we keep ourselves together
1: for for our animals' sake? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we need to fall apart. Sometimes we need to fall apart with hmm. our animals. You know, so sometimes it's important for us to kind of stay grounded and stay strong. But there's other parts that we, other times we need to fall in fall apart in front of our animals and tell them how we feel and and how much we're going to miss them and, and things like that is important. It's very healing for us, very therapeutic for the animal as well. And then they get to experience that emotion. And sometimes such amazing and and miraculous things happen after these kinds of talks, and as well as letting the animal know. And sometimes, you know, people have told their animal, I cannot put you to sleep. I cannot take you in myself. So sometimes people ask the animal to go to, to, to cross over to die in their sleep. And one lady had said, I can't take you in. Um, If you choose to leave, I ask that you go off into the woods and and do it that way. And the dog did. She never found the body, but she knew that's what happened. And then sometimes we have to give the animal permission because the animal is suffering. It's gone to the vet. The vet's done everything possible, but they're still holding on. And sometimes, ooh, I have goosebumps. Um, And sometimes we just have to tell the animal, I give you permission to go whenever you're ready. If you need me to help me out, if you need me to help you, I will help you. And if you can go in your sleep, I will honor that. But sometimes people do struggle with, you know, the animal goes to sleep or, or, you know, and doesn't wake up when the Mm -hmm. owners are sleeping. And so sometimes that's almost a blessing or a privilege that the animal is giving them an escape where they didn't have to be there to watch them suffer because so many times, when we take our animal to the vet or if the vet comes over to our house, we we relive those last breaths, those last moments, and we get so stuck in that. So when an animal sometimes will pass in its sleep, it's taking its own responsibility and it's, it's kind of giving you a free pass of just like, they didn't want you to suffer. They don't want us to suffer as humans. And I have yet to come across an animal that holds um, a grudge of, you weren't there for me. That's never happened. So, people can kind of let go of that. That will help them become more at peace and, and, um, and almost a sense of relief as well. But it is a very touchy subject. And a and, and quick point is that animal communication, I don't always, you know, I don't really want to know when the animal dies. Sometimes the animal will say, in two weeks, I'll die. Um, and two, sure enough, two weeks, the animal will die. Sometimes they'll say, in a couple of months, or when the leaves fall off the trees. But I always say everything is based on probability and subject to change upon that animal's free will or ours. So something can happen between this period and that period of time to change the entire outcome. Or you can take the animal to a vet and something else gets diagnosed or they go on to steroids or something else and then live six months longer. So I always preface that with animal communication. You just don't always know that. And sometimes animals can prophesize and say this is what's going to happen and sometimes they don't. How how do we know they're telling us that? If they're ready to go? Yeah. It's just the quality of life. If they stop wagging their tail, if they stop eating, they stop drinking. It's usually a, um, a whole bunch of different things that you can tell. It's not going to just be an automatic, oop, that's it, it's it. There's also a feeling that you'll get of knowing that this is it, this is it. And you'll wake up one day and the animal can look at you and you're just like, oh, today is the day. Because I tell people, it's not like you wake up and say, oh, you know, I'm going to euthanize my animal today. It's not something that just normally just pops in. It's just a feeling or a sense, an intuition that you get that just the animal is telling you, you know, it stops, it stops eating, it stops drinking, stops wagging its tail, doesn't want to play anymore, all oh, it does not sleep. And it just looks at you with these sad eyes and there is no quality of life left. Then you kind of know. And if sometimes people need help, then they can definitely contact me as an animal communicator or another animal communicator to help them communicate with their animal to make sure that everything is done and that they're ready to go. But mm-hmm. sometimes that can be very helpful in itself. But if people I think that's can talk to, their, yes, it does help. But if people can talk to their animal and and tell the animal what's going on and if you need help or whatever, or and I always say celebrate the animal's life. It's not a death sentence knowing that this animal has this cancer, this disease, but, you know, celebrate. Take out the photo album with the animal sitting on on your lap on the floor and cry and laugh and giggle and take the animal for a walk, give the animal a treat, take it through the drive through give it an ice cream, but really Mm -hmm. honor and cherish the time and celebrate the time and don't mourn and grieve and just make it such a heavy heart. Because more stress on you as well as more stress on the animal. I know it's easier said than done. You'll have more successful days than, you know, and you'll have some unsuccessful days. But so it's really important to honor and celebrate and cherish the time you do have with your animal. And when the time comes for the transition, you won't feel as guilty and won't feel as heavy. You'll still miss that animal and, the, and what they brought to your life, but you'll have more of a sense of peace around that, that, that transition.
2: I think uh, a lot of people feel a lot of guilt if they um, schedule the the actual euthanasia appointment, um, knowing that their animal may have a, a day or two left. And um, how do you advise people when, when they're in that situation and they're feeling this guilt, like I'm going to kill my dog? Um,
1: I, we've heard mm-hmm. a lot of people say that. Um, yes. What are your thoughts about that? I say you spoil the heck out of that animal for those two days. You sit there, you laugh, you cry, you take them and give them their favorite foods, and you just really try to celebrate and and to talk to them from your heart about how you feel and that you're so sorry this has to happen and I love you so much. But you just, like, get everything out on the table and just really try to relish each moment, each breath, pet them, hold them, caress them. Do whatever you can possibly do to make yourself feel comfortable and positive positive. As well as I also people to tell their animals, "Give me a sign when you cross over. I need to make sure that I, I see or feel a sign, whether it's in, in, in my sleep in a dream or it could be something that I see in wildlife or that song on the radio. but there's going to be an obvious sign that this animal will pass to you either right after they've, they I've had a client that went into the car after the vet clinic Oh. oh.
0: Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three legged dogs at tripods.com. <laughs>